Well, welcome to Unplug It. This is our first episode since our chat with Robert Harvey back in March when we had high hopes of the season ahead. We knew there was a bit of a lurking uh, little issue called coronavirus, but it did explode in the weeks that followed after that, which put the season uh, on hold and put pretty much everything else on hold as well. And we're recording this uh, podcast in isolation from our various corners of Melbourne. We'll be uh, delighted to catch up very shortly with Tim Membry from inside the St Kilda uh, Inner Sanctum to get some thoughts on how, how isolation has been for him and uh, just what they might be hearing about a possible resumption. Uh, a little bit later on, we'll catch up with one of our former players as well, still quite young, a very recent former player in Aaron Sipos, who's been kicking goals since his time at the Saints. He'd come to an end a few years ago, been plying his trade over in the US. And that has come to fruition with him being drafted into the NFL by Detroit. So that's the next chapter for him. But also just what isolation looks like in a part of the world where they are struggling. There's no question about that. Um, obviously, we're uh, going, it's fair to suggest, a fair bit better over here than perhaps some are around the world. But it's still been uh, very tricky. I do welcome our co-hosts, uh, Nick Splitter, as you can see, with the uh, St Kilda poster over the background there. And uh, Aaron McGrath has uh, got the fancy wallpaper there, whereas I've just got my couch and, and the cat here in uh, in Cranbourne. But uh, nice to have you, Nick, first of all. Yeah, thanks, mate. Uh, strange, strange situation for us. We used to used to sit around the table in the studio, but uh, this is a little bit different. H, I, I thought you maybe you'd used up all our stickers on your wall. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm just... In in the bedroom, so I'm hiding in the background, and yeah, as uh, it's a bit freaky Very sometimes. Good. So if, if anyone does want, if anyone does want a uh, a bumper sticker like what uh, what you can see behind Aaron there, just uh, drop us a line at unplug it at gmail com or on uh, any of our social social channels. And what year is that poster on your wall? What season is that? That is two thousand five. Oh yeah, very good year. We should have won the flag that year. Should have won the flag that year. It's, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a pretty decent Holding team. the wall exciting. up, and looks. Yeah, exciting, exciting footy to watch that year. Sadly, what I say sadly, it's um, when you factor in that we've only won one flag, it's conceivable that 2005 was our second greatest ever victory. Uh, it would be, it'd go pretty close to that win in Adelaide. The prelim against the Bulldogs is obviously pretty sharp, but that Adelaide win would be right up there. The Adelaide win, that was, that was an unbelievable game. It's one of my, my greatest sporting memories that night. Mm. Uh, at the old Amy Stadium. Um, yeah, what a night. It was unbelievable atmosphere. Uh, even I think even the fact that the, yeah, there was a small pocket of Saints fans there, it was probably two to 3,000 had, had, had made the journey over. But all, all, all kind of sitting together and all kind of uh, sat together in, in the same area of the ground. And the noise that that little pocket of people made was just incredible. I watched that game at Moorabbin H at the Social Club. Yeah, where you yeah, were. So there, I was there. You yep. with us? Yeah, yeah. That was a hell of an atmosphere. It would have been probably two thousand there as well as it was, but obviously just us this time. And I remember the uh, the chant when um, there was a key moment where uh, in the probably because that was when it was Channel Ten and you had the old five minute warning, so you didn't know exactly yep. how long yep. there was to go. But they panned to the St Kilda coaches box, and you saw Grant Thomas and Matt Rendell get up and start folding the pieces of paper and. And you knew then that the siren was going to sound if they're packing up in the box. And I remember at that point the chant yep. in the room erupting uh, everywhere because you knew that the siren was about to sound. So a very memorable night. Yeah, it was an, yeah. An, old man um, that, an, an old man that had a pretty good game, and but a young man that had a pretty good game as well, G- Jimmy Gwilt, announced yeah, himself the game, yeah. in that, that game. And uh, it, was, it was exciting to watch as well. We expect the big things after that. Well, yeah, we, I thought... <laughs> 
the, no, I mean, from Guilt. He turned up that night, and we just again we found another one. He ended up being a defender yeah, um, years later. It took a while to obviously settle yeah. into his natural role. But, um, yeah, yeah we, we won that game and got a home prelim, and we played Sydney, who we'd beaten by, I think, 10 goals the previous two times we played them. We were pretty banged up, but um, I think the belief mm. was, given they had that gruelling final against Geelong, that we'd probably get through that and then play an interstate side in West Coast in the granny and uh, wasted opportunity, unfortunately. But we were... Uh, were pretty um pretty stiff in in terms of the injuries, but uh, not the first time. That was the about because the, the year before we lost a prelim by a kick, so that was sort of the second of the heartaches over mm. that period from sort of 2004 to 2010. But how's isolation been? I, I wanted to give a shout out to the guys that speaking of that game. It um there's a YouTube channel that's helped get me through isolation called Saints FC Archive. So if you go there, it's got just about every game St Kilda's played since about 1987 on it, um and some before. They've got highlights packages of guys like Winmar and Lockett and Harvey that go for sort of two hours. So you can just sit back and watch Winmar take speckies and kick goals. So that's helped get me through isolation if you want to go out there and check those guys out. But um, what have you guys been up to? Yeah, I have to admit I have seen, watched the Garrick one. <laughs> um, the, was it 2005, every goal? Yeah, it's got every goal he kicked. Um, yeah. Well, no, 2004, sorry. 2004, yeah. every goal. Um but yeah, I've watched a few things on there. But otherwise, yeah, been hitting the hitting the prime, hitting the um, KO, watching the virtual supercars. That's been all right. Um, just old old basketball finals. They've been playing a few of those on there. So basically, whatever we can find. Probably the last dance, um, I'd say. No, I haven't watched it yet. I haven't so, got onto it yet either. Yeah, you're missing no. out. You're missing out. It's yeah, I'm at the moment. Oh, I'll be catching up with it. Oh, yeah. I won't miss yeah, it. Harder. I heard a... Um, I've seen a few of the episodes of Leaked and, and a few people have watched the entire series, but I actually kind of like turning up on a Monday night and, and switching on knowing that you know, I've got a couple of hours to sit back and watch two new episodes and doing that kind of weekly ritual. It's kind of, you know, harks back to the old days of you, you turn the TV on at 7.30 to watch your weekly show um, you know, before recorders, before streaming, before downloading, all that sort of stuff. It's uh, a bit of a blast from the past and, and watching some of that you know, 1990-plus basketball with, uh, with Jordan in his prime and, and uh, that, that Bulls team is, uh, is amazing viewing. So it's great memories. And, uh, yes, it's been, it's been such a strange period. Um, you know, I've watched a few games on that, that channel as well. As I saying to you before off-air, uh, I've watched that 1991 game against the Crows at Moorabbin where Pugger had nine to half time and uh, ended up with 11 or 12. It's, uh, I've watched that about three times in the last two or three weeks. Um, uh, yeah, just catching up on catching up on shows and series, and I, I binge watched the entire Better Call Saul series in about three days uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, just uh, laying low. After that, it's been home renovations, paving the backyard, and painting bathrooms and stuff like that. Like most people probably are at uh, at home at this stage. But yeah, I think a favourite of mine on the archive has been from that 05 season when we beat Melbourne at the G the second time when um, Nick Del Sano kicked five and we kicked. 27 goals for the game. That was, uh, I think, about beating Melbourne heavily at the MCG. That, uh, that really does get you going, I think. Yeah, I did I did have to watch that, the Carlton game um, from my 04, though. Um, oh, I think 31 goals. The 30, 31 goals. <laughs> so, so the, up, uh, just, just watching Fev go to Fev going to fullbacks <laughs> entertainment. Yeah, that's a form of yeah. punishment. I think Eric kicked five in the first quarter, I think. Yeah. Final score was like 196 to 80 or something. 
Yeah, and we kicked 12 goals in the second quarter. So 12 goals won. We kicked in that second quarter, our highest scoring quarter of all time. Uh, Hopefully we can get a bit of that upon the resumption of football. And we're going to check in now with our very special guest from the Inner Sanctum. Steel long memory with three against him. And he beat the lot of them. And he struck it beautifully. That's a work of art. Well, we are very grateful for the time of one of the leaders of the football club in Tim Membry. It's been a difficult time for everybody in the AFL system, everybody in society for that matter. But Tim, thanks for, for stopping by. I guess, first of all, as we as we look over this last little period in terms of contact with the club and, and things like that, uh, we know you can't train with the group and, and stuff like that, but how regularly is the other conversations around uh, we're hearing, you know, a lot of the interstate players, you need to come back and get ready for training soon. Are you having meetings with the club sort of every week for, for updates? How does that look? Yes, yeah, so we're regularly, um, you know, catching up via Zoom and, and doing these sorts of chats. But um, so every Monday we've organised this regular team meeting where everyone joins a team meeting and um, I guess rats sort of will go through what the week looks like in terms of training. Um, and just like our individual skill work and then um, a few other um, key leaders of the club will jump on and just give us, you know, regular updates on um, where it all sits in terms of um, coming back to training um, and whether it looks like we're going into hubs or those types of things. So, but the club's been very good in, um, you know, giving us updates, you know, weekly and, um, you know, dealing with other issues that, um, you know, we might not be across, so they've been really good. Well, you find the training by yourself. Um, is it easy to get motivated to do it yourself or get out there, just go for a bit of a run? And that, is it yeah, it's, easy it's to like, do? Oh, it's certainly not easy to do. Um, yeah, it's one of those things, um, I guess, for me, it's uh, a little bit, um, you know, easy just being in the system for a bit longer. And I guess um, it's sort of ingrained in me now just to, um, you know, be on top of those types of things in fitness and diet and that. But um, I guess we're still able to train with one other player at the moment. So, um, and the club's done a hell of a lot of work on, um, you know, building their connection with the group. So, um, you know, the players came up with just every, every training session, training with someone different, um, you know, a younger guy training with an older guy, just mixing it up, um, just making sure that the whole group is staying um, engaged with each other. So, that's been very good and, um, you know, just seeing different faces, you know, you're so used to coming into the club and seeing so many people and just having heaps of conversations and then all of a sudden you're just stuck at home by yourself with, you know, little contact. So um, it's, it's still been okay, uh, I guess, the training days, but, you know, other days when you're just at home doing gym work, it, um, they tend to be long gym sessions because you just find yourself getting distracted. Tim, at what point did you find out that, that round one was going to be it and, and that when that, that siren went, that that was going to be the last footy you'd play for a while? Yeah, pretty much as soon as we walked off the ground, um, I started hearing some you know, whispers about um, you know, there's going to be a 10-week uh, hold on the season and, and those types of things. And we played on the Sunday, so I guess there was another game to be played over in the West, but um, I think even halfway through that game, um, Gillard came out and gave an update on where the AFL sat. So, um, yeah, it was pretty much straight away after the game. Um, 
I found out that, yeah, this is how it was going to be. What was that experience like of round one? I mean, it looks like if football comes back, that's probably going to be something that you're going to have to get used to again with, with no crowds for a little while. But was it a case that maybe 10 minutes into the game it sort of settled into to normal or was it never really felt quite the same uh, without spectators there? Uh, it, yeah, it never really felt quite the same, I guess. Um, you know, coming to the bench and, you know, when you're actually not so... Um, you know, intrigued in the game while you're having the spell is probably when you notice the crowd the most. And um, for me, yeah, when it was on the bench and it was so quiet and you could just hear everything that the, you know, the players were yelling at each other and that sort of thing, it probably really sunk in then that it was just um, certainly a strange situation um, that we found ourselves in. But um, yeah, it just didn't seem quite right. Um, yeah, it, it, that's what it's going to take to get football, I guess, back in some um, and, and then on our TV screens. And I guess we're just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, so you're pre-prepared to do it if it has to go that way. Um, does How will be that time away, do you think? How, there's obviously no one knows anything about how it's going to feel, how it's going to play out. But do you think you're prepared for it if it happens? Yeah, well, I think now, like, um, it's been certainly... A uh, topic that we've discussed um, as a team, and um, that when we do come back, this—that's probably what it's going to be like, and that's going to be, I guess, the normal, probably for the remainder of this season. Um, you know, it's looking like that we might not see crowds for this season um, in stadiums, but um, yeah, we're just going to have to get used to it, which I'm sure we will. And um, you know, we're already um, starting to you know, um, do little things, adapting to these situations, so. Um, yeah, it's just going to be the normal for this year, in, I think. In terms of the training session that that's kind of delivered to you guys on a Sunday night or, or Monday morning, has there been much of a, I guess, a response to that round one performance, or is it is it more kind of general maintenance, fitness, keeping, you know, making sure that you guys are keeping fit and sharp and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, the group, like the the team, was in really good shape. You know, going into round one, we had a really strong preseason. Um, we had um, little injury. Uh, we had a really healthy list, so. Um, it's really just purely been um, on the back of just maintaining uh, over these these periods. And um, there was like a challenging week there where we um, ramped up the training quite a bit and um, we did like 12 to 13K sessions. So they were, um, you know, quite intense and tough. But I guess just the one thing about, um, you know, training with one other player is you don't just quite get that game-like and um, game simulation training. So... That's probably been one aspect that's been, you know, the toughest. Um, so just trying to, uh, I guess, do what we can in, in terms of trying to mock, um, you know, that situation. So, yeah. You guys might get more direct information than us. We obviously hear a thousand different scenarios, so it might be a, a pointless question. But we, we keep hearing about hubs and, and obviously Western Australia haven't yet opened their borders. So they'd be in a quarantine situation. So it's likely that the Western Australian teams would have to leave their state. Uh, there was talk about the Northern Territory maybe even having crowds because of where they're at in terms of their lockdown situation. Yeah. How would, would you feel about hubs if the hubs weren't in Victoria? And by extension, is there, a, I guess, a consensus amongst the teammates that, that most people would play or there'd be some that might be uncomfortable if it was six, eight, ten weeks somewhere else? Um, oh, there certainly is. Um, I guess you would have heard from, you know, seeing the players around the league and that that, it's just, um, you know, 
people, the guys with families, it's probably just the most um, common one that would be the toughest being away for an extended period of time, uh, away from family. Um, for me personally, that's not the case, but, um, you know, I'd be happy to um, do that if we had to do something like that. Um, um, but certainly 21 weeks, you know, in a hub, which was probably going to be, you know, the, the worst case scenario would certainly be um, quite, uh, yeah, quite tough doing it that way. But, yeah, we've heard lots of things, um, you know, about the, you know, we've had players who have gone back home in Perth and um, when they're coming back now to Victoria, they'll have to quarantine for two weeks. So, you know, where I think they are back now, so they'll be in there quarantining now for two weeks, which um, is important because, you know, hopefully not too far away this season is up and running. Yeah, you've obviously got to keep yourself entertained during this time. Um, who's the first person you'd actually jump on to say Zoom or something to have a bit of a not good laugh with or just yeah. something to get a bit of entertainment? With uh, the team's been uh, catching up on a Saturday afternoon at about four o'clock. So, um, you know, whoever's available and um, wants to just jump on, have a quiet beer and, and talk a bit of uh, crap, then uh, most of the boys have been all for that. So. Um, but yeah, there's been some you know quality banter on there. You can't get that a word best, in though. when Dan Hanover is on there uh, talking. You can you can hardly get a word in. So um, you have to mute him sometimes. <laughs> uh, t- tomorrow night for us, so people probably watch this tomorrow. So tonight, if you're watching it, Friday night uh, this week, the club's doing a, a an, an event on on Facebook or Instagram. Um, you give us a bit of insight into what that what that looks like. Yeah, basically it's just, um, you know, they've got uh, Eric Banner um, coming down um, and Lenny Hayes is going to um, be on the chat as well, I think. So they're, um, you know, basically just doing a big shout out to um, all the members um, who have stuck by the club. Um, you know, it's been a tough time for everyone in, um, you know, who, those have been affected financially and, and uh, more so, um, you know, AFL clubs have been hit as well, just purely because of the membership losses. So um, it's basically just, um, you know, telling people just to hang in there with this. It's not going to be too far away and um, we'll be back hopefully playing footy in front of uh, you guys on whether it'll be on TV. Um, But, yeah, just basically a big shout-out to those guys. Just as we let you go, we probably haven't done, in fact, anyone's really done any football analysis over recent weeks. It's all been about these possibilities. But... I guess as we look at round one, there were some good signs, but some frustration in there as well. We probably could have buried the game just after half time with some opportunities in, in front of goal. But what's the assessment out of that? And, and I guess your new forward line partner, Max King, obviously getting on the board with a couple. <laughs> yeah, well, we've had a lot of time to um, go over the game and, and review the game. So um, first half, yeah, certainly um, was very exciting. Um, we played some really good footy and, um, you know, put their defenders under um, a lot of stress. So uh, the forward line was shaping up or is shaping up when we get back and playing. You know, it's exciting. We've got some speed in there with, you know, Dan Butler, um, Jack Loney, Dean Kent, and then obviously adding big Maxi up there in the forward line. You know, when um, he gets up and going, he's going to be hard to stop. So, um, and then I guess going on from that game in the back half, we... Um, probably just lacked our way with our ball movement going forward. Um, they were able to go in at halftime and probably address what we were doing well. And then um, they came out and, I guess, shut that down. So we probably lost our 
uh, direct entry inside our four line and um, we probably we struggled to find other ways to go in and score. So, um, and then they, on the flip side of that, they were able to rebound too easily and, and score at their end. So um, certainly something we've addressed and looked at. Um, like I said, we've had plenty of time to, but um, yeah, hopefully when we get back out there, we can turn that around and, and start getting some wins on the board. Well, Tim, thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate you jumping on tonight uh, in the middle of uh, all of this, which is obviously a, an uncertain period for everybody. Obviously, when you get back out there, we might not be in the stands, but you'll certainly have the support of the faithful. And when St Kilda next play in front of crowds, I'm sure plenty of us will be there. So uh, thanks very much for joining us and good luck for the, uh, the remainder of the season, whenever that is. No worries, guys. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, that was Tim Membry there and reflecting on that North Melbourne loss in round one, which was quite a while ago now and, and probably one that we haven't spoken too much about. A, a frustrating loss. We were 29 points up at half time. We missed some shots. Dean Kent, Zach Jones in the third quarter uh, and just couldn't quite uh, put the game away. And, and North overran us. We probably should have taken it back at the end with a, a couple of missed shots in, uh, in the goal square. Jack Steele and Paddy Ryder, a bit of a fumble when we could have snared it uh, at the end. And, uh, in the end, we go down by a, by a couple of points uh, to a side that um, was expected to probably battle a little bit. And, and I guess in terms of trying to finish uh, in and around the eight, it's probably a side we had to beat. So it means we've got to pick up a win against a, a Richmond or a West Coast, I'd say, hey? Yeah, as, um, we watched the game together. And as we said, it's a very forgettable match. Um, first half looked good. Second half... North figured us out, as Tim said, and basically counteracted what we were doing good in the first half and shut us down. Um, we didn't have a plan B and basically came back in the second half, tried to do the same things and couldn't do them. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly what you said. We, we just didn't seem to have a plan B at all. That first half, you know, we were, we were full of run. We moved the ball quickly. We were slick. You know, we didn't hit every target, but, you know, we, we, looked, we looked impressive. We looked worthy of a team that had, that had had such a good off-season and such a good pre-season and, and, and looked to be fit and firing and ready to go. Uh, lost a couple of players as well with, uh, with a few little niggles uh, in that second quarter. Uh, but uh, that, that second half was, was deplorable, really, to watch. From, from what we'd shown in the first half, like you said, Ace, North, North worked us out and, and, and they beat us at our own game. They were just, they were just better in the second half. And, and ultimately, we didn't deserve to take anything away from that game. But uh, yeah, it was it was very disappointing. I guess what I, I just out. remembered the Josh Walker yeah. injury. Yeah, right. I just remembered the Josh Walker injury. He, he's at least he's had some time to recover now because that was that was pretty awful. That one. Yeah, and I mean, mm. as much as we lost Jay Gresham just on half time, they lost Walker and Zebel, and and I think another uh, Paul Arhern they might have lost as well. So mm. uh, we had the benefit of of numbers, but but I guess what I hope I mean when I was watching the game in the first ten minutes, I was a little bit worried because they looked a bit better around the ball than than we did, a bit sort of tougher around the ball. But then we got completely on top with our run and looked like we we're going to blow them away. And maybe perhaps that that lack of cohesion in the second half comes down to the fact that we had so many changes to the uh, the squad. I know a few people have sort of thought that all these new players coming in, that when the opposition sort of threw something different up, we didn't quite have that chemistry yet. And not just the new faces that all played, but, you know, Max King and various others, uh, Robert and back in the side who hadn't played for ages. Uh, there was a lot of new faces uh, in that lineup. Um, obviously, Max kicking a couple was, was handy. Jack Billings looked pretty good. Zach Jones was probably our best player, although all I remember from the game was him hitting the post in the third quarter from 25 out on the run at an important stage. But 
most of those guys are pretty good. Brad Hill, uh, were good in the first half, not sort of non-existent in the second, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it was a. I would hope that the loss comes down to us just not quite having the chemistry to deal with the team coming back at us, even though we should have won the game by just kicking one of those shots we missed. There was also, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, and, and you guys might disagree, but uh, a bit of a strange uh, selection, a bit of a controversy, I guess, with, with Josh Battle being left out of the side. I thought uh, the, the second half of last year, I thought he really deserved his, his place, and maybe he wasn't, maybe he wasn't training as well, or, or maybe they just for, for matchups they didn't want to didn't want to play him. But I thought that that cool head in, in the back half would have really helped us in that that second half. Potentially, potentially, but just someone to, to, to calm down the play, especially when they got on top of us in, in, in the third quarter, just really kind of calm things down and, and, and marshal the back line because it, it did seem that there was a bit of a, a lack of, a bit of a void in terms of leadership. And I know Robbo's back there, but, you know, his first game back for two years, can't expect him to, to be, you know, the, the, the Dylan Robertson of, of old, the All-Australian type Dylan Robertson in his first game back. Uh, I really thought that that we missed we missed the leadership of of and 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 cool head of Josh Battle in in that second half. Yeah, I think it could only be a matchup thing, but at the end of the day, too, he's the sort of player you put in your team to make the other team match up on as well. So the reason behind it, it'd be good to know, but it baffled me. I thought he was a walk up start. Mm. I find yeah, Dan I agree. Kent an, I find Dan Kent an interesting player. Um, he gets a lot of the footy and he gets a lot of shots at goal, but he's not all that efficient. And I, I just have probably had some minor concerns over with us having every player available on our list, whether he was in our best 22 or not. Um, obviously, time will tell. He does bring a lot to the table and he regularly gets shots at goal and, and you know seems to win a lot of it forward of centre. But I just wonder whether we get enough reward out of that. Um, in terms of conversion, he's, as left-footers go, he's not yeah. a great set shot at goal. Yeah, I think if if round two happened straight away, I reckon he could have been on the on the chopping block. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, he gave a bit of gave a bit up there, but just yeah, that finishing the he's got to return. Hopefully, mm. a game like that, he gets two or three. Yeah, um, he's not going to get that every week, but. In a situation where we're needing a match winner, we need him to get two or three out there every in that game. He probably ends um, the game that, straight after half time. I think we were, we kicked a point and we're thirty points up, and then I think he won a free kick thirty meters out or something like that. If he kicks out, it's almost all over. You're thirty six, thirty seven points in front. You're probably not getting rolled from there. I mean, it's, you can't put it all on go one. Go on the chances, but yeah, you're, you're probably not losing if that goes through. And going half time with the momentum behind yeah. him, behind yeah. us, and he does. Yeah. he does give us a different look in in the forward half. He's, you know, he, he does play similar role to Butler and Loney and and those sort of guys. But he's he's harder at the ball. He's, he's a bit more powerful. Mm, he's a bit of a, a bit of a bull in in the in the contest. And um, as much as you know, Butler and Lonely, Lonely are, are tough and, and, you know, they also hit the ball hard and, and that sort of thing. They don't have the same body strength and, and power that, that Kent does. And I think I think Kent, historically, I think before before he came to St Kilda, he was known as a pretty decent finisher. Um, yeah. And uh, so I don't, I don't know what's happened. The, the, the St Kilda goal-kicking curse. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think if he can clean that up, he's, he's a really useful player around the ground and, and in that forward, that forward half, you know, like you said, getting shots on goal. If he can, if he can fix up some of those finishing you know, issues, 
then, then he's a really handy player. Mm. He was also yeah. known for his pace, apparently. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's, he's hard at the ball was not really what he was brought in for. He's brought in for pace, but we haven't, haven't seen a lot of that, to be honest. Thankfully, uh, our last guest has probably been the only uh, St Kilda player of recent times that hasn't caught that uh, accuracy curse. And our next guest yeah. wasn't too bad with the boot either, and that's carried him into the next chapter of his career, which is where we will go next. Jolly Thomas Shaw, back to Daisy, cut off, back to Revolt. Revolt's a little handball, Sipos off a step, oh, gets it all, it's a goal. The Saints are in front. Well, we are joined now by former Saints Aaron Sipos, who's now in the exciting second phase of his career, 28 games uh, with the Saints going back a a few years. He's been over in the States for the last uh, couple of years trying to uh, seek that next opportunity, and that next opportunity has come in the form of the Detroit Lions in the NFL uh, for the upcoming season. We know sport is in a really interesting position, but it is great to get these feel-good stories and also to check in on a lifelong St Kilda supporter and a former Saint. Aaron, thanks for your time. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, can you take us through, I guess, the, the recent little process? So, um, obviously, it's been a, a fair journey over there in the States, but um, I, I guess how you came to realise you're on the radar in, in Detroit and, and I guess what happens from, from here in terms of where you are now and, and when you make the move over? Yeah, look, it's been a bit of an interesting process, but um, it's been a good one um, in saying that. Um, uh, I declared for the draft in January and um, since then I've just kind of been building up to try and get an opportunity to be on a, on a roster somewhere and um, I was fortunate enough to go to the NFL Combine and, and be able to showcase my skills there in front of NFL teams, which is great. And um, Yeah, after that you just kind of speak to teams regularly to see who's interested and who really needs a guy as part of their organisation and Detroit Lions was certainly one team that had been speaking to me regularly and um, I, was, I was obviously very hopeful of being drafted, but it didn't quite work out that way. But um, Detroit was certainly a team that wanted me to be part of their, their, their club and um, it's worked out really, really well. So um, part of their organisation as of now, which is really good. And uh, last couple of weeks has kind of just been preparing myself for their rookie camps and all their team meetings just to kind of um, catch up and know what they want to do as a, as a team and from a special team's point of view and, um, you know, hopefully we can start training camp in July and, and the season uh, in September. So obviously it's been a bit hard to organise the actual move to Detroit um, to get over there and actually settle into the city. And um, do you know much about the city there? You've been talking to parts of the team or anyone like that just to get an idea of what you're in for up there? Yeah, look, I haven't, I haven't um, spoken to many guys up there. Um, uh, I've spoken to my special teams coordinator a fair bit, and he obviously the main thing they say it's pretty cold up there at the moment, so we'll have to we'll have to deal with that. But by the time I move up there, it should be a little bit warmer, which is nice. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, the city itself is obviously continuing to grow, and um, you know, uh, they call it the Motor City. So a lot of the uh, car companies and that are up there, obviously, which is which is pretty cool. And um, you know, obviously. Uh, Obviously, I've got a bit of learning to do with their, with the history behind it all and everything like that. But I'm looking forward to getting up there and, and seeing another part of the world, which would be really exciting. Aaron, what was your, your knowledge of, of NFL and American football before you, you made the move over? And, and second part to that question, what's it like now knowing that you're, you're on a team with the likes of you know, Matt Stafford and, and those sort of guys? 
Yeah, look, I, I didn't know a lot of it and I, I probably picked it up um, probably when I started playing at the Saints. There was obviously just becoming to, you know, become really popular, I guess, on Australian TV. Probably before that, we didn't really get to see a lot of it. And then, um, you know, after I joined the Saints and that, a lot of those guys had travelled to America fairly regularly and um, got to see the games and stuff. So, you know, it would always be on the TVs in the background when they were there. So I started picking it up a little bit there and following it and, uh, that was pretty cool, but I, you know, really to kind of go and play it, I didn't really think about it until 2017. Um, I think I was in my second year at the um, at Williamstown Football Club, and you know, that's when I really thought that hey, maybe I can actually give this a shot and and see how far I can take it. And um, you know, I joined Pro Kick Australia, obviously, and um, it's, it worked out really, really well from there. And um, you know, to, to go into a locker room with guys, as you said, like Matt Stafford and, and Kerryon Johnson, who's a really good running back, and, um, you know, Kenny Galloway, who's their top wide receiver. It's obviously going to be a pretty cool um, experience. But um, at the same time, I've got to go in there as well, just knowing that, hey, these are going to be my teammates as well, hopefully. And um, I'm just going to go out there and do my job at the same time. How's it been, I guess, in a outside of sports sense i mean we're obviously doing this via zoom because we're all in isolation and that sort of stuff but but i guess in your case being on the other side of the world and, and away from from home so you're in isolation but you're in isolation in a different country and away from maybe a lot of those closer friends and, and family what's that what's that been like given i guess the the way the two countries have sort of been going through this yeah, look, I mean, um, I've been very lucky, I guess, because uh, my wife's over here with me at the moment, which has been good. So I have had uh, someone with me, which has been quite nice. But if I didn't have her, I'd probably be in a little bit of trouble because I wouldn't know what to do with myself at all. So um, she's been able to kind of keep me sane, which is nice. And um, yeah, I mean, look down here, it's, um, you know, certainly tried to take all the protocols and that to make sure that everything, um, you know, is staying closed and, and people are keeping a distance from things unless they need to go somewhere for, you know, some groceries and things like that. So um, they've certainly been doing their, you know, a good job from, from that aspect and that as well. Um, hopefully we need to continue it. Obviously, you know, America is highly populated and, um, you know, a lot of people all over the country. And so there's a lot of people that will be walking around and things like that. And, um, you could probably tell by the numbers that uh, how many people have got the coronavirus over here. So um, you certainly have to be pretty careful with it all. And um, I guess I'm lucky too, being in a small country town compared to being in a bigger city. So, you know, not as many numbers are, are here, which is good. And, um, you know, it'd be interesting, obviously, when I do make the move to Detroit, how much they've been able to kind of control it and um, when things kind of open up again. Yeah, we'll go back further in your early life and that grew up a Sakilda Sporter, a Sakilda Sporting family. And then from there on, you grew up playing juniors and went on further. And then it came around the time of the draft to look at yourself playing AFL. What was the chances you thought of actually getting to Sakilda? Uh, I thought my chances were very slim, to be honest. I had spoken to him once and I didn't really expect anything from him, to be honest. So um, that experience was was truly unbelievable and um, something that I'll definitely never forget, uh, which, which was incredible. So I still remember the night very clearly on draft night and, and the build-up to it all, which was super exciting. And um, it's definitely something that I'll always remember. And, um, you know, while I didn't play as long as I would have liked um, you know it's certainly a dream come true and, and something that I always thought about as a, as a kid growing up 
No, it's 28 more games than any of us have played, so. <laughs> well, as, as a junior, mate, you were, you were pretty big. I mean, when you, you played AFL, you were probably a, a step smaller than the, the average key forward in, in the AFL level. But in juniors, you, you were really a kind of a big kid and, and you know, key forward type player. 99 goals in your under 16 year, that's, that, that would have been uh, you know, something to, to hold your hat on. But what was it like making that step from being one of the, the biggest kids in, in that, at that level to kind of coming in and, and really having to work your way through that, that uh, you know, senior level? Yeah, I mean, look, for me, um, yeah, as you said, I, I was probably one of the bigger kids in the under 15s and 16s, so you, I could play that key role very, very easily. But um, I probably had to kind of change my game a little bit when I made the, the Dan on Stingrays team, the TAC Cup. Um, I played with guys like Tom Lynch and uh, I think Corey Buchan as well, who was at Frankston Dolphins for a little bit. And, um, they were probably more of the key guys. So I kind of had to take that third kind of tall role. Um, so I guess having that 12 months to kind of readjust to that um, was probably a good thing going into, into the seniors. Um, so that, that gave me probably a bit of help. And obviously, you know, teams were aware of that when they drafted me. So I guess looking at that and seeing me as a third tall option um, was something that um, they were obviously happy to do. And um, as I said, they gave me the 12 months to kind of really expand on that. And then when I got to the seniors, obviously you have to continue to grow your game and work around guys like obviously Nick Rewald and, and Cozzy and, and those guys to try and, um, you know, fit yourself into that system as well. Because, you know, obviously Rewalt was your number one target and, um, you know, Cozzy was obviously in and out of the team, but he would be your number two. And then obviously Milne's running around at their toes waiting for an opportunity to, um, you know, swoop in and, and kick those goals as well. So, um, you know, it certainly took a little bit of time, but um, I guess, you know, being able to play five or six games in my first year, I guess Ross gave me that chance to be able to do that and saw something in me to, to, do, to do that and play that third tall role, which was, um, which was really cool. Was that tricky? I mean, you five years at the club, you have three senior coaches. So you have the last year of Ross, you have the Scott Waters period, and then the start of the, the Alan Richardson period as someone, I guess, who's trying to establish a place in a, in a forward line and a new team. I imagine that's a bit unsettling when you've got effectively three different ideas, three different coaches, and, and those sorts of theories, I guess, would keep changing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, Ross was a... Uh, Ross, we all know Ross, and he took us to probably... Um, arguably the best teams that we've had in, in Saints history, to be honest. And, yeah. um, you know, he was a great guy, um, obviously very defensive-minded, but he knew his stuff. And, um, you know, my first year, obviously, as a, as a, as a rookie coming in, you go, you, you, know, you, tell, you know, adjust the game plan, learn the game plan, see how much you can get to know. And um, I felt like I got to know a fair bit of it, and that's why I was able to play those games in my first year, which is pretty cool, and um, do that. And, you know... Oh, obviously, I was looking forward to, you know, going into that second year. I knew Ross was obviously going to challenge you a bit more going into the second year. So you had to be ready. And um, obviously, it, you know, that ended pretty quickly, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, obviously moving on to Scotty. And, and you know, I think everybody at the time was very excited about Scotty. He'd come from the Collingwood, you know, coming from the Pies. And, um, you know, he obviously was part of that defence that really that won that flag in 2010. So everyone was pretty excited, I think, for him to jump on board. And, um, you know, he, he came in and spoke to me pretty early and saw me as a really good option in the forward line. And, um, you know, that second year I played my most games, you know, of my career in a season under him. And, um, you know, I really obviously was confident with him and how he went about it and things like that. And, 
that was really good. And, you know, in my third year, um, you know, he wanted me to move into, into the defence and play in the back line. Um, obviously, with, you know, BJ leaving to go to Essendon, that, that was kind of a different option. And, um, you know, obviously, probably didn't work as well as what we would have liked. And, um, you know, we moved back into the forward line and, you know, things kind of start to change a little bit. And, um, you know, obviously, we had a pretty tough season. I think we probably only won four or five games that year. So, it was a very, very tough season. And, yeah, obviously, when you start getting used to kind of how Scott wants to run it and things like that, and then that ends pretty quickly, you know, it makes it pretty tough to obviously move to the next guy. And um, I think I was 20, 21 at the time when Richo jumped on board. And, you know, that's when we obviously realised, okay, we're in a complete, um, you know, rebuild, as we'd like to say. And, and um, no, that's the way we want to take things forward. And again, I just had to kind of start from scratch and, and earn my spot and, um, injuries didn't obviously help as well with three shoulder recos, not an ideal um, situation to be in. But, um, you know, Richo was a fantastic coach in terms of bringing in the guys that he wanted to um, build the foundation. It's obviously unfortunate it didn't quite work out for him, but um, I guess that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, you obviously got had the privilege of playing up in the forward line with Nick Revolt. Um, you probably... Most players who play with him probably put him down as the best player they've played with. Um, just stepping aside a little bit, who is the player that would probably impress you, say, but may not realise to supporters or whatever that, 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 that really do have a big impact on the club and just impressed internally more so? Yeah, I mean, I think a guy that comes to mind pretty quickly for me is Sean Dempster. Um, Yep. I mean, his professionalism, um, you know, his character around the club and the way he goes about his business is, is unbelievable, was unbelievable. And, um, you know, I think that obviously when you do play with guys like Goddard, Rewalt, um, Delsano, Montagna, you know, all those guys obviously know how good, um, you know, everyone knows how good they are, which is great. But um, Sean Dempster was the ultimate professional and um, what he did for the club was unbelievable. And another guy probably comes up is probably Jason Blake as well. He um, runs the house down. Um, he would do anything for you on the field to play in any position and make sure that a role was filled, whether it was back line in the ruck, even a little bit forward. And, um, yeah, he's a very smart man too and helped that club put it, you know, get it into a great position as well. So there's certainly two guys that come to mind pretty quickly. For someone who played 28 games at the club, he had a couple of really memorable moments. You know, a couple of big long bombs and, and a match winner against Carlton, I think it was. Was there a, a moment that you kind of, you know, you look back on and go, that was kind of that was kind of my peak, or that was that was my biggest moment, or my favourite moment, or, or what, what's that? What's that feeling like when, when you kind of feel like you made it and, and you, you kind of reached the goal of, that you set for yourself? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I probably throughout my whole career, I never really felt like I, I 100% made it. Um, you know, obviously, um, I was the guy that, you know, I guess, you know, I, I'd play four or five really good games and then I'd maybe I'd maybe have a quieter game. And um, I guess my name was the one that would be taken out probably straight away after that. And, um, you know, I probably, I probably felt like I didn't get the maybe the opportunity to just kind of, you know, get that, you know, eight or nine games in there to kind of build yourself and, and feel confident about the whole thing. So um, sometimes that's the, just the way it works and, and you just got to go with it. But, um, I mean, probably 2012, you know, I was playing, playing some really good football between round 10 to kind of 15. And um, I got nominated as the Rising Star, like Rising Star nomination, I think against Essendon in 2012. And 
um, you know, that was kind of where I was really playing really good football and consistent football. So that's where I kind of felt like, yeah, I, I can really, you know, you know, be a regular as part of this team and go from there. So, yeah, that was probably the time where I felt I felt really good. Yeah, there was a fortnight stretch there where you were... Uh... Uh, we had a big win over Essendon, and then you had a big last quarter against Brisbane at the Gabba in a, in a game we won. Uh, it was an arm wrestle up until three-quarter time, which uh, certainly does uh, stand out. Uh, in terms of, um, I guess, the influence of, of guys around the club, uh, we've asked a lot of people uh, this question, obviously, given the timely nature of it. But I think Danny Frawley spent a bit of time at the club uh, whilst you were, were there, and, and obviously being a lifelong St Kilda supporter, you'd be... Familiar with his uh, exploits, can you take us through, I guess, Spud, the, the Spud that, that, that you knew in your time at the club? Yeah, I mean, I, he, he was a character. He was, uh, he's a very funny man, and he always lightened the lightened up the mood. Um, you know, because obviously, being in an organised organisation like that, it can be very serious at times. Which you know, so it should be. You're in a professional setting, but um, you know, he would come in and then lighten up the mood a fair bit, which was awesome to have. And um, you know, but the reality is his knowledge of the game is incredible. He knew, um, you know, how to run a defence and, you know, his expertise were, were obviously awesome. And I think that helped our defence a fair bit, to be honest, which was which was great considering we had, we had such a young group in the back there, probably besides Sean Dempster. Um, it was relatively young. Even even Jaron Geary was, was still kind of young at that time. So, um, you know, it was awesome to have him be, aboard, you know, be on board and, I was obviously fortunate enough to wear his number two, which was incredible. And, um, you know, I had guys, you know, I had obviously Danny down there, I had Aaron Hamill and, you know, and, and Tony Brown, they're all wore the number two before me. And um, that was obviously pretty special to be part of that too. And um, as I said, I would have I would have liked to have, you know, played the 100 games like those boys did it, but um, it didn't quite work out. And, um, you know, but to, to be around and be involved with guys like that um, is definitely is definitely special. Coming to that point of knowing it wasn't going to work out, how how did they approach the club approach you, or who approached you, or basically, basically where did you go? Okay, I know this is basically be the end of it. Um, and did did you see any possibility going to anywhere else after that happened, or anything, or nothing from there on? Yeah, look, to be honest, I knew. I, I think deep down, I knew that my my career was over when I did my shoulder the third time in New Zealand in that preseason. So. Um, uh, I was out of contract, obviously, that year, and um, I, I was feeling really good on the track at the time. I was coming back and probably in really good shape, the best shape that I've been, and um, I, I tore my labrum again on the New Zealand training camp, and probably from then on, I knew I was in a little bit of trouble. I knew that it was a six-month injury, and um, you know I wasn't going to be coming back until July, which is tough. To play eight games and try and get yourself another contract is always going to be tough, so... Um, deep down, that's probably where I knew it, it was the end. Um, so that last year, I obviously just got myself back into good shape and made sure my shoulders right to finish off the season strong. And um, I felt like I played reasonably good footy, but um, I knew it wasn't going to be part of the Saints at the, at the end. And um, I'd spoken to a couple of teams afterwards, but you know, ultimately they decided to go on another path. And um, you know, that that's just the way it kind of goes in the end. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I signed with Williamstown hoping that I'd get another opportunity and it didn't quite work out, but I guess it's kind of led me into the position that I am today. So on, on that, how, how did you make that move from, from kind of Williamstown VFL footy into you know, an introduction with ProKick Australia? ProKick Australia is kind of, for, for those who aren't kind of American football fans in, in Australia, 
kind of turn into a real you know, college football factory for, for punters um, and, and somewhat into the NFL as well now. Um, how did that happen and, and how did the move to, uh, to Auburn happen? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, as I said, I think, you know, halfway um, from 2017, I saw a couple of guys I, that, that had been in the AFL system or the AFL reserve system and um, saw that they were doing really, really well in the college system and starting to make their way into the NFL. And um, I thought if they could do it, why not, you know, go give it a, a shot and, and see what I can make of it. So, you know, I joined Pro Kick in, in July of 2017 and got on to Nathan Chapman and, um, you know, went down for a kick and it worked out really, really well. He really liked my technique and that and he knew he could work with it a bit more. And um, I was able to kick the ball really, really well as well. And he thought there was going to be a great opportunity to... Um, you know, go play in one of the really, you know, high college, you know, powerhouses in college football. And um, I continued to train up until November. And um, we'd been speaking to Auburn University a fair bit because they were in need of a guy. And um, we send them obviously film regularly to show what we're capable of. And that's the only way they can kind of, you know, offer us a scholarship is through film. And I was able to kick really well in those days as well. And yeah, just got offered a scholarship to, to join their organization, their, their program. And um, super exciting. I didn't really know a lot about Auburn University, I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, when looking up and seeing how, you know, um, being a top 10 school for a very long time and being trying to push for, you know, national championships and that is, is pretty cool. And um, I was very, very lucky to be able to earn a scholarship from them and, and play two great seasons there in front of 90,000 fans every single week. And how passionate they are is incredible and um, certainly going to put me in a better position to, to have a shot at the NFL. And uh, as we let you go, and we do appreciate you joining us uh, at this sort of early juncture in the morning, I guess you, you've spoken a little bit about it earlier, but just reiterating what the, I guess, the next couple of steps are for, for you before you've got obviously beatings and, and sort of training and, and programs by distance and that sort of stuff. But what's the, uh, the steps as you know them? Because I guess we don't know everything, but um, in terms of what is likely to happen. Yeah, look, so for me right now, I start my rookie camp over the next three days virtually and just, you know, introductions to the whole organisation and, um, you know, what to expect, you know, going into training camp and, and the season ahead. Um, after that, we just start kind of installing meetings and, and learning special teams and the offence will learn the offence, defence will learn the defence over the next six or seven weeks. Um, most of that will probably be done virtually unless anything kind of changes, but I would expect that to be done online. And then um, after that, we have a little bit of break and then training camp starts. So that's where the real competition begins. And it's going to be myself and one other guy that's going to be fighting for that number one punting spot. Um, by no means uh, am I, have I got a spot on the roster just yet. I have to go in there and, and work really hard to show that I'm worth the shot. And um, I'll do that over training camp and pre-season games and show what I can do. Um, and then after that, they, they pick a 53-man squad and they'll pick either between me and, and one other guy to go into the season. So um, that's kind of the basic um, way it's going to go. And um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity and, um, you know, certainly ready to make the most of it and, and know that I'm more than capable of being able to get there and, um, and, and play at the top level. Aaron, thank you uh, very I'll much. Just say, I, yeah. uh, I was going to say, I hope you've got a share in the take the training one day. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> Good luck for the next chapter. It's great to see you kick on and we, uh, we wish you all the very best over there. And um, yeah, hopefully it goes very, very well. And we, we see you lining up uh, when, when, when sport is back to normal with the, uh, with the Detroit Lions. No worries, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
So that was Aaron Sipos. Uh, great to catch up with him. And, and good to be back on Unplugged. It senses that football may be within sort of a month to six to eight weeks, but a lot of water has to go under the bridge. Thank you, uh, Nick, first of all. been uh, nice to, to get together via Zoom and knock this one out. Yeah, a bit a little bit different, but I uh, enjoyed it nonetheless, and uh, hopefully we can do a couple more. And H, uh, to, to you too. Hopefully we'll be uh, watching St Kilda play together soon. It certainly won't be at the ground, but um, wherever it may be, hopefully we can uh, get some better results. Hopefully something soon. It sounds like it could be footy every night at some stage. So let's get back into it. Who knows where or when. A big thank you to Tim Membry and Aaron Sipos. This has been Unplugged. Remember to subscribe to whatever your favourite podcast channel is and and make sure you also uh, get around us on all of our socials as well. But good to be back. Stay safe. And another edition coming soon.